When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, it's Simon Hughes and Simon Mann. It's the analyst inside cricket. We're celebrating England's 3-0 triumph in the one-day series. Actually, a lot of the England fans in the Sydney cricket ground after that triumph were saying 5-4, 5-4. It's going to win 5-4, It's going to be five five one day as Mm -hmm. compared to the four tests that that Australia won. So it's been a great weekend for English cricket. We're going to just sort of analyse one-day cricket and how... You play and whether there's a lot of luck involved or whether it's the skill that's really taken England to the fore. And also later, we're going to look at the morality of the game with this quite interesting incident in the under 19 World Cup where the South African batsman threw the ball back to the wicketkeeper and was given out obstructing the field. So we'll just examine the the finer points of the laws of the game and as well. And the spirit of the game as well. Yeah, yeah. Which has been. Uh, put under a bit of pressure in particularly in under 19 tournaments actually recently but first we should just again celebrate England's brilliant win in in Sydney to confirm them as 3-0 winners of the one day series Joss Butler's innings was astonishing but I, I also thought the England bowlers deserved some credit for just holding their nerve really and maybe outthinking the Australian batsmen but Having you know done a lot of death bowling myself, uh, I guess you just also have to recognise there's there's quite a bit of luck involved. Because we've been looking actually the last three overs of both innings, and you have come to the conclusion actually that the balls bowled were not that different, and yet some disappeared out the ground, and some were clothed to mid off or to deep cover or to deep back of a square leg. Yes, and. It's it's obviously a lottery when you're bowling at the end of the innings because even your best balls can go for six. And Joss Butler proved that. He hit what was pretty much a decent Yorker from Pat Cummings over long on. The boundaries were in a little bit and it carried for six. And he actually got a, a genuine Yorker from Mitchell Stark, which was just outside off stumps, swinging away slightly, bowled from round the wicket. Nothing wrong with the ball at all. And his genius... Joss Butler's ability with the with the bottom hand and this almost kind of tennis shot or shovel shot that he plays off a ball, which you, in tennis it would be like a half, half volley at your feet, and somehow he manages to get underneath it and get it back over the net, or in this case over mid-off for four. So his range of ability just makes bowling at the death so much harder. Cummins went for 24 off the penultimate over the innings, and I guess he just he, he kind of gambled by a slower bouncer, which Joss Butler predicted, and swatted it for six. And then Butler thought, well, what's he going to bowl next? I've swatted his slower bouncer for six. He's probably going to go full and fast. And he, he gets right and managed to manhandle that over long on for six. You could say, well, the bowler should have outthought him. But, you, I mean, it's so difficult. And with Butler, I think the key thing compared to Marcus Stoinis batting in the same stage for Australia in that game, is Butler has so much more range. He can manoeuvre those near Yorkers for fours and sixes on both sides of the wicket. He can hit over extra cover. He can slice it over 
point. He can obviously reverse sweep. He can ramp the, the Yorker over fine leg. So he has so many more options. Stoinis is basically a leg side hitter, it seems to me. Yeah, because we watched it back this morning before we came together to talk about this. We watched the last three overs and Stoinis gets quite a few balls outside the off stump that are very hittable if you're a capable offside hitter and he's not able to do anything with them. But he played that one sweet shot of Chris Wokes towards the end of the game when he hit him over deep back with square leg for six. Beautiful stroke. And he clearly is a talented player. And the other thing about Stoinis as well, you've got to remember this, Butler's played 100 one-day internationals. So he's been there, he's seen it, he's done it as well because he's played these sorts of innings before. Stoinis is a relative novice. He's, he's learning the game. That was his 11th one-day international. So I think that needs to be taken into consideration as well. He wouldn't have been in that situation very often in his career, simply because he just hasn't played as much. Chris Wokes was 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 exceptionally good, but actually both with the bat and the ball in, in that last game. Just looking at his two overs that he bowled at the end, he mixed up with a, the odd slower bouncer, which one of the batsmen, I think it was Storin, has tried to flap over mid wicket and didn't get on to because he got the height a bit better perhaps he got when you bowl that slow bounce you've kind of almost got to get it shoulder height and it's it's you're dicing with death because you could easily go a little bit too high and then you're wide and then you've got to bowl the ball again or you don't get it quite high enough and the batsman sees it and you know manhandles it over mid wicket for six so it's it's such a lottery but Wokes got his slower bouncer high and he got a very good Yorker outside off stump, a, a, a key ball as well. But in between those, there was quite a few length balls, which, as you say, could have gone for six. They didn't kind of guess right, the batsman. Perhaps they had Tim Payne in, who wasn't a, as big a hitter as they needed at that point. And, and then Mark Wood actually bowled a couple of length balls in that final over. They maybe understood that if you just bowl Yorkers all the time, A, that's predictable and also on a slowish pitch where the ball's sort of sticking in the pitch some can come off at different paces so it's worth that gamble and Wood has that extra speed which England have, have basically desperately needed all, all winter. In a way Wood's set the tone didn't he for the the series when he bowled that bouncer at Warner right at the start that first one day international and, and, and causing problems Wood's a fine bowler remember that ovary bowled in Southampton that prevented South Africa from beating England in that one-day international. He, he clearly got something, that skiddy bounce as well. The reason we're looking at the last three overs, of course, is because Australia were fra- fractionally ahead of England with three, four overs to go in the match. So it really, in a way, you can boil it down to those last three or four overs. Both teams were in a very similar position going into the conclusion of their innings. And England, of course, ended up winning by 18 runs, which is a, a huge victory, really. It just shows how well Butler played. The other aspect, of course, is a more basic aspect, is when you're batting first, you don't have the same pressure because you're setting a target. OK, you want to get as many as you possibly can. When you're chasing, you know exactly what you've got to do. So there's that, that, that pressure of the, the chase that comes into it. And Australia probably felt that a bit too much. It's curious, wasn't it? Do you have a, a one-day international like that where you're chasing over 300 and you only lose six wickets? And actually, one of the, that sick wicket went down in the last over of the, of the game when it, you know, it was all but done. So you, you wonder whether they use their resources as effectively as England earlier in the game. But then England were six down with 12 overs to go. So, I mean, teams are perhaps learning to conserve their wickets a bit more now in in 50-over cricket, to go for that late assault. And England were able to play it really well. They were able to use their resources, i.e. the runs they had in the bank. Australia just 
was stretched a bit too much. Just wondering about Steve Smith's contribution. I mean, he was talk, talking about that catch, and we'll, we'll go on to that later when we talk about some of the morality in the game, some of the decisions that are being made. Steve Smith's so good in the in the Test series, but he hasn't been able to find any sort of form or fluency in the one-day series at all. And that's partly because I think he's probably focused massively on concentration, staying in and playing the percentage shots in the five-day game, which obviously brought him 600-odd runs and the, the winning contribution in the Ashes. But it is hard to adapt. And very few batsmen have made the adaption very successfully between very, very high productivity in test cricket and then explosivity in one-day cricket. I mean, Coley, I suppose you'd say, would be one. Uh, Warner has done it at times but hasn't actually delivered much in this series Steve Smith in the past has been pretty prolific in one day cricket but you feel he's become more of a test player somehow and he's now going to be the sort of anchor man for one day cricket I think he's realised at number four he's better off playing the kind of Joe Root role where he just rotates the strike and stays in and allows the hitters to go for it at the other end I mean you're you're talking um, by the way quite sort of excitedly as if this one-day series has lifted the spirits, which it obviously has from an English point of view, but from a cricketing point of view, they'd been more compelling than all those test matches, really. The test series wasn't that interesting, was it? I mean, OK, you might say that from an England perspective. England won 4-0, and they, you know, Joe Root racked up 687 runs in the, in the same style as Steve Smith, and everyone would be waxing lyrical when we say you know, it's one of the great series, in the way that Australia looked back on the 1989 series in England where they won 4-0 as one of their big series. Channel 9 made that uh, documentary about the Ashes and they, they focused on four series, 74-5, 81, 2005, but also 1989 is one of the great series. We don't see it as one of the great series at all. We see it as a lamentable summer where England picked 170,000 players and, and got absolutely <laughs> annihilated. So it wasn't a great Ashes series. I thought it was quite, actually quite dull. The pitches were dull. The cricket was quite dull. Steve Smith's so ground. Nutritional, yeah. I'm going to say dull. Perhaps dull's a bit um, over the top, but it, it wasn't that compelling. That was England's fault in a way because they they weren't able to compete with Australia successfully. Often enough, there were little patches. So perhaps inevitably, we, we focusing on the the one day series. But the point is, of course, is that we're so used to England being or in the past being such a poor to average one day side that it is something to get excited about when you see them play in this way, because we've never seen them do this before until the last couple of years, since the last World Cup. And so we're actually all marvelling at it and think, goodness me, you know, when you go to watch England play a one-day international now, is that you actually go with a sense of anticipation, whereas before you're just thinking, oh, another one-day international. It's not like that anymore. And it's great to see. Of course, the for the purist, they will still say, well, Test cricket is better. For the simple reason that it's obviously a longer game, it's, I think, more of an examination of character. It bores into your soul, a test match. It it really examines your resilience under pressure over a long period of time. And, and I think, you know, generally, the best side wins in test cricket, whereas in one-day cricket, it can be a lottery. Somebody can pull an incredible innings out of the fire and make their side win. The other thing is, it isn't as much an examination of a character, except maybe in those critical moments, sort of the last three overs of an innings, which we saw both sides have to deal with in this last game. It, it's a little bit like a penalty shootout, isn't it? Those last three overs. Yeah. And, and actually, sort of talking about where to bowl, 
you, you can criticise a bowl for bowling a good length and if it goes for six. But if the batsman misses it, it's, a well, it's well bowled. In the same way as if a, a penalty taker takes a ball and hits it fairly close to the goalkeeper and the goalkeeper's already dived the other way, it's a brilliant penalty. But if he hits the, the penalty fairly near the goalkeeper and the goalkeeper doesn't move or guesses the right way, it's yeah. a terrible penalty. It's, it is a complete lottery at those stages of, of those sorts of matches, those kind of sporting events. And you, I guess you've just got to hold your nerve. So that is an examination of character and how you deal with the pressure. But for most of a one-day game, it... You know, risk is not something that you worry about because if it fails today and you get bowled out for 180, you can still have another go in two, three days' time. Well, this is the problem with the five-match series or um, South Africa are going to play India in a six-match series. That's the problem, I think, with, with long series. They should be short and sharp. There should be three matches. It's also the problem that England could face in the next World Cup. Which is everyone plays everyone in the group stage and then... You're down to the semi-finals, so you've had that safety net for all the matches. Mm. You probably, you know, you probably won't have to win all of them or any you know, anything like all of them to get to the semi-finals. You have to win a reasonable percentage of them, and then suddenly it's all on the day. And that was the problem that England had against Pakistan in, in Cardiff. Suddenly on the day they had to deal with a different type of pitch, different conditions, and bowlers who were able to exploit that, and they couldn't deal with them. That is going to be the test, and that really will be a, a test of character f- for England if they find themselves in that situation in the next World Cup because you're going to have lots of matches and then suddenly it's going to be bang on the day. Can you deal with it? This has been the most convincing I think anybody's ever seen them play in Australia in one-day cricket. I know and Morgan said that, actually. He said that he thought that, that win in Sydney was one of the best wins they've achieved under his captaincy, and I, you know, there's still quite a lot of criticism of Morgan on social media in particular, just saying he doesn't deserve his place in the team and his his batting has been poor and so on. Actually, I looked up his stats and he's averaged 44 in the last 12 months in one-day cricket with three hundreds mm. and his strike rate is 98, I think, perhaps. So he's a, he's a run of balls. He doesn't waste any time. He does get some low scores, but England's record under him has been incredible. Unbeaten now for, what, eight games at least, probably nine games. And he just manages to find the right options in the field and encourages the batsmen to play their natural free way. And and it's working brilliantly. Who drops out when Ben Stokes comes back? Good question. There'll be an injury, won't there? There's bound to be. Plunkett's obviously probably out now for for the rest of the series. It's difficult to say, but they'll just have to mix and match a bit, won't they? Maybe he won't bowl that much, Stokes. He might bowl, you know, a five-over spell, so he's almost the sixth bowling option. But you've got to have him in there, number five batsman. So one of the other guys is going to have to make way, but it's going to be a hard choice because none of them deserve to be dropped. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? Last time they dropped Jason Roy to bring Johnny Bairstow in for the Champions Trophy Semi-final. People will say Morgan will come under pressure, but he's still, as I say, averaging in the 40s over the last 12 months. I mean, if his form does seriously dip over the next six months, but, but they might have to look at that. But he, he's such a strong captain. And the, the great thing about his captain is he's so calm. He, you can't really tell what he's thinking. He's had all that experience of dealing with those crisis moments. I think he's a reassuring presence 
for England. They they know he can handle these these difficult situations, and they have a lot of confidence in him. It'd be interesting to ask him what he was feeling at about the halfway stage of Australia's innings. They were about one forty four for three after twenty five overs, chasing just over three hundred to win. You think from that situation, you probably should win as a a batting side, and he he was a bowler down as well. Plunkett had gone off, so that was a really good game to win. I think from that situation, I think England in that situation, if they'd been batting second, they would have expected to get those three hundred from that position that Australia were in. As talking about Steve Smith's contribution, he he found it really difficult to to get going and tick the board over quickly. Now just just that pressure just built and built and built, and in the end, it was it was too much. Of course, there was that catch that Joss Butler claim to get rid of Steve Smith. Australia will say, well, that was absolutely crucial. And in the second part of this podcast, we're going to talk about controversial moments in the field and talk about the spirit of the game. So we'll be back in just a moment. So well played England 3-0 up in the one-day series with two to play, two great occasions to come, but uh, England have sealed the series and deservedly so with the explosivity of their batting as, as well as the dependability of their bowling. But there was a one sort of little moment of luck, I suppose, with Joss Butler managing to, to get that catch off Steve Smith's edge, which actually the replays show were a bit inconclusive. Yes, that's true. But what do you do in a situation like that? The umpire said soft signal out. His instinct was that Butler had, had caught it. And it's also Smith's instinct, I think, because he began to walk off, didn't he? And then he thought perhaps, oh, hold on a second, did that carry? But his initial reaction was... that. That was out. Butler claimed it. It's in, it's very difficult for him to know, I think, 100%. But just watching the replay, you, you've known this, sitting in those t- television trucks. Television foreshortens everything. Mm. You get a, a, a sort of 2D oh, image yeah. rather than a, a 3D image. It sort of flattens the image as well. Yeah. So it looks as though the ball's banked. But, I mean, I, I've been going on about this for, for many years now. And the number of times you see the ball seemingly bounced, but it's hit the end of a fielder's fingers and gone up into the palm of their hand. And their their fingers, it, if, it looks as if the ball's touched the ground, but it hasn't because it's hit the end of the fingers and mm. gone up into the palm. And I think Butler just managed to scoop the ball up right in the end of his... The, end of his gloves, in the fingers of his gloves, and, and take the catch clean. There was nothing there, I'd say, once it, certainly once it had been given as a soft signal out, there was nothing there to overturn the decision. Everyone says, oh, it, it bounced. But you have to understand that, that TV doesn't always give you the right perspective on those catches. I think we're misled a bit on, on t- with TV pictures on that. TV's brilliant for other things, but for that, it's not very good at all. No, and, uh, well, I've done little sort of demonstrations actually where I've stood outside on the field with my hands under the ball on the ground and the camera up in the stand has been filming me and it looks as if the ball is touching the ground and actually it's not my fingers are underneath it it's complicated by the fact that Joss Butler as a wicketkeeper with the big mitts you aren't sure always whether you've got your fingers under it I think you can tell generally as a fielder because the fingers are that more, much more sensitive but with the big pair of mitts it is sometimes difficult yeah. to know if the ball went in cleanly or you just grabbed it sort of on the half ollie so I, I sympathise with England for, for obviously upholding that dismissal. Well, Steve Smith said we, we should get rid of soft signals. It should just either be out or not out. Just have a look at the evidence and, and, and see what you think. Well, mm. having a, looked at that, which way would you go? Perhaps they would have said not out then if, if it had been no signal at all because you couldn't categorically 100%. You wouldn't put your house, your mortgage, your fast car 
your holiday Why are you on it being out. Me on a fast car? <laughs> you wouldn't you, know, you wouldn't put all those things on it definitely being out. But then on the other hand, would you say would, would you put it all on it being not out? And what often happens, of course, is it goes in the batsman's favour, doesn't it? Because the batsman doesn't get another chance, whereas the bowler does get another chance. Do you reckon that you exceed the speed limit on your bike in London? Occasionally, probably. Yeah, it probably is easy because there's a lot of twenty mile an hour <laughs> speed limits around the place nowadays, aren't there? Do you reckon you do more than twenty? That's a very left-field question. <laughs> well, you were talking about me as if I had a fast car, <laughs> as if I'm this mad fast driver. Well, I don't think I'm that fast. And I certainly don't have a fast car. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to another incident, another talking point this week. It's got people a bit exercised. And there's no dispute about this, by the way. This was very clear on the camera, what actually happened. The, the, the player was definitely out. Jivashan Pile of, of South Africa, given out obstructing the field in the under-19 match. If you haven't seen it, go and have a look at it. It's on social media. You'll, you'll find it quite easy. Just type it into to Google. Anyway, lots of people saying it's disgraceful that the West Indies appealed and it's wrong that he should have been given out. The umpires had a chat about it and basically the ball's near the stumps. It, it, it comes to a stop. He picks it up and chucks it back to the wicketkeeper. There's an appeal from a West Indian fielder. You can hear it. On the camera, you can hear the the appeal. The umpires considered it, and they said it's out, and it is out under the laws of the game. But people saying, "Oh, it's totally against the the spirit of cricket." And we played in lots of matches. We played in club matches every every week of the summer, where someone will just lob the ball back to the fielding side. Now, let's just let's just clear this up and actually just decide what we think about this. Well, I, I think it's disappointing personally. I, I think it's it is against the spirit of cricket. I mean, the thing is. The spirit of cricket is a bit arbitrary. It's, it's been, totally arbitrary. It's been simplified a little bit in the laws of the game. I have the laws of the game here, actually. And the preamble, the spirit of cricket, now says, basically, respect is central to the spirit of cricket. Respect your captain, teammates, opponents and the authority of the umpires. Play hard and play fair. Accept the umpire's decision. That's all about respect. But I think it, you know one of the things there is respect your captain, teammates, opponents and the authority of the umpires. It's just disrespectful, I think, to try and appeal for something where the batsman was trying to help the flow of the game and keep the game moving. He was trying to be helpful to the opposition by just throwing the ball back to the wicketkeeper. That's a nice little gesture, and I think it's disrespectful to appeal to ask him to be out. Now, under the laws of the game, of course, it's correct. The laws of the game, which actually have been changed a bit now because there is no such thing anymore as handled the ball one of the ways of being out is obstructing the field and handle the ball as being sort of incorporated into obstructing the field. And here we have 37-4, returning the ball to a fielder. Either batsman is out, obstructing the field, if at any time while the ball is in play and without the consent of a fielder, he or she uses the bat or any part of his or her person to return the ball to any fielder. So under the laws of the game, the umpires were correct to give it out because clearly the batsman didn't ask permission to throw the ball back to the wicketkeeper. That was his mistake. So as clearly out as hitting the ball in the air to a fielder who catches it, allowing a bowler to knock your stumps over, being out of your ground. What, man-cadding? No, I've just been bold, I meant. Oh, right, OK. <laughs> as out as hit wicket, as out as all those things, it, it is out. It's, it's as clear as that. So I would say that I would say two or three things on this. One is know the laws of the game. Which, of course, an awful lot of people don't. And, yeah. by the way, there are 150 pages of laws of cricket, yeah. and they've been changed since last October. So you, almost like you, you, you're suggesting that players need to go to school 
before they play international cricket to make sure they do know all these? Well, well, some players who play at the top level don't know all the laws. I mean, Michael Vaughan, when he handled the ball in Bangalore, he said, and he was given out, the last, actually the last man to be given out handled the ball in international cricket is Michael. He said he didn't know the law. He, he said that he thought it was perfectly OK to do what he did. Well, so what I would say is this. I would say know the law. It's your wicket. It's precious to you. Do everything you can to preserve it. The other thing I would say is I wouldn't I wouldn't have appealed in that situation. I, I Are think you sure. No, I would I would I would have appealed. I wouldn't have appealed in ninety nine out of a hundred situations. Well, what do you like mean? That. What? So what's the one out of hundred when you would have appealed? Then? Well, if the, you didn't like the other batsman, <laughs> possibly, or if the ball was just sort of moving, it was still quite close to the stumps, and there, and there was a bit of. Uh, lack of clarity about whether the ball was going to roll back onto the stumps, possibly in that situation. But generally, no, I wouldn't have appealed. But what, what I would say is this, is the West Indies have got previous for this. Mm. There was a man incident in the last World Cup. Just be cleverer. Know your opponent. Not everyone plays with, uh, the game of cricket with the same uh, moral outlook as you. So you just have to be cleverer. You just have to outthink them and one of those ways is not to do something that's against the law of the game and allows you to be dismissed in that way however unfair you think it is however much you think it's against the spirit of the game preserve your wicket don't allow the the opposition that opportunity to dismiss you in that way because they might be playing the game in a different way I wouldn't like to have played club cricket under you I don't think you play it so hard I mean I I said I I wouldn't have appealed I said I wouldn't have appealed I bet you'd have mancatted someone if you running up to bowl if you thought they were trying to steal a run absolutely absolutely so you wouldn't have warned them first the laws of the well I might have warned them first yes I would have warned them first actually but the laws of the game under the laws of the game that has now been tightened up actually it it, it puts the onus on the non-striker to be in his or her ground and that's right because otherwise they're stealing a run that Josh Butler incident at Edgbaston in the mm. previous game at Lords they were they Pairing were backing up, up a, they were backing up a long way they were turning ones into twos and Sri Lanka spotted this and they were going well hold on a second you know you're taking advantage here well they should have done it then rather than in the next game that was just well, stupid well that's right they probably had to think about it and chat about it but Butler was clearly out of his ground if I'd been Josh Butler that evening I wouldn't have been furious with Sri Lanka I'd have been furious with myself for allowing them the opportunity to run me out because it's your job to stay in and I had allowed them, I made myself vulnerable to being given out and and totally under the laws of the game. So all I'm saying is I, I am in favour of the, the spirit of the game and people playing the game I thought you said right. you thought it was arbitrary. Well, I think it is a bit arbitrary, but I think you know there is a way of, there is a way of playing. I accept that, and we've been brought up probably in that way not to appeal if someone chucks it back, but don't give the opposition... The chance to do it is that, that that's my point, really. I think that we just got to be be nice to each other on the field. And <laughs> well, hold on once a the ball is well, dead, well, well, no, I reckon you just throw it well, back hold, to the wicketkeeper. Okay, hold on, help the flow of the game and just encourage people to, to be nice to each other. It's a game, for God's sake, it's not war. Okay, and, and yet a bowler runs in and tries to knock your head off at ninety miles an hour. Well, but that's that's when the ball is live. When the ball wicket- is dead, you get you you try and help the flow of the game and throw it back to the fielder. And there's something polite about it. We're all playing this great game of cricket, and we're all trying to, in the end, enjoy ourselves and have fun. I take I take that point, but here's another one. Paul Nixon, who I love, Nico, he's a lovely bloke, uh, was very strong on this. He doesn't song. speak very highly of you, by the way. <laughs> well, that's fine. It was on social media last week saying this was a disgrace, but Nico was one of the great sledgers. So, he, you know, he, he was, he's rattling away behind the stumps having a go at you as, yeah. a, as a wicketkeeper. 
So is that in the spirit of the game? What I'm saying is that there's a there's an arbitrariness about the spirit of the game, which I find um, a bit ridiculous sometimes. And I think what we should actually do is just play to the laws, play to the the, the preamble of the spirit of the game there, respect, but play to the laws. And if someone wants to appeal when you pick the ball up and chuck it back to a fielder, they are entitled to do it. In other words, so therefore, don't give them the opportunity to do it. Don't touch that ball. Let the fielding side do the fielding. I mean, it's hard enough to bat as it is, isn't it? It's hard enough to bat as it is. You get one chance. Don't do the fielding side job for them. Just walk away and let them do it. Let them pick it up. Let them tire themselves out. Yeah, well, I don't know. I I, I don't totally agree with you, but, I mean, the laws back you up. Um, This preamble, the spirit of cricket, we we should finish with this really because it says cricket owes much of its appeal and enjoyment to the fact that it should be played not only according to the laws but also within the spirit of cricket. Well, what is that spirit of cricket? It's been brought into question quite a bit this week. But that dismissal is in the laws. It's in the laws of the game. It's not. You're not. So how can you go against the spirit of the game if something's actually in the laws of the game? I suppose my problem is that I've always believed that laws are there to be broken, (laughs) and that's probably you know why. Well, why I've still got a small terrace house in London rather than a mansion. Anyway, um, you all have your views on that. that. That's my view. That's yours. Simon, you know, let us know what you think. Yeah, do, actually. Let us know what you think. That is a, a very good point. So you can tweet us at The Analyst or... At cricket underscore man, two ends. Give us your feelings about this particular issue. And also, please leave reviews on iTunes about this podcast. Yeah, thanks very much for listening. I think, actually, people have been tweeting me about it and things, things like, give over. <laughs> give over. It's against a spirit-up game. Anyway, there we go. That's my view. That's your view. We'll speak to you again next week. That which is non-existent can never come into being. That which is can never cease to be. Those who have known the inmost reality know also the nature of is and is not. Podcast Network.